Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture for today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next day, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we gather to worship and to praise. We pray that you would open our eyes, speak to our hearts. 
but that as we see your presence amongst us and hear your words deep in our souls, that you would transform us so that we would leave this place not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, there was a young man. He was off to college. He was an only child, and his mom, his mom and dad packed him up in the car and sent him off on his way. He liked college. He loved college. As a matter of fact, he sort of set his sights so that he would enjoy college. He figured out what the bare minimum he needed to do to stay in school so that he could enjoy the life that he enjoyed. He stayed out late. He skipped classes often. He found sort of this part-time way of being a college student and a full-time student of college life. And he kind of got through that and he graduated after five or so years. And he sort of had a couple of jobs that really were lackluster. They were beneath his ability and he sort of floated through two or three of these dead-end lackluster jobs going nowhere fast in life. And then his father passed away. And in the midst of his grief, he realized that his mom was not really in a frame of mind to sort of care for the estate and to manage all the household affairs. And so he quit that third lackluster job and decided to move back home. He would look for something else to do, but in the meantime, help his mom take care of the estate. And so as he was doing that, he began to uncover their financial story. He discovered that his mom and dad were not wealthy people, that they had very, lived very frugally and very simply, that they had sacrificed for him, that they had foregone fancy vacations, that they very rarely bought new clothes, that all of their resources were spent on him. He learned that his dad had taken out a second mortgage so that his parents could send him to school so that he could graduate debt-free and that they were still paying that off. It was in that moment that he understood the depth of his parents' sacrifice for his life and how embarrassed he was and how mortified he was that he had made so little of it. And he hated who he had become and who he was. And so he took that moment to turn his life around in such a way that he would make his mom and his dad in heaven proud of him so that he could show his gratitude because he realized the price his parents had paid for him. And he really understood that parents will do anything for their children. That parents will pour their heart and soul on their children because their children represent their future. They love their children so much that they will sacrifice anything for them. And he wanted to honor that sacrifice because thus far in life, he had not. Today's text that we read and we hear in Genesis is a text and a story about sacrifice too often when we read this and we study, study the history and the story of Abraham, we kind of come to this text and we kind of fast forward through it because we don't really want to dwell on how disturbing this passage might seem. 
I mean, God asked Abraham to take his son, this son that he's hoped for his whole life, to take him to a mountaintop and to kill him, to sacrifice him. I mean, why would God ask this, right? I mean, you know, the whole idea of the covenant was, Abraham, look up at the stars and you will have descendants greater than these. And, and Isaac was the first of those stars in heaven in Abraham's mind. Isaac was the embodiment, the living proof that that covenant was come true. And now God was asking him to do something impossible. But if we begin to peel apart the layers of that story, we begin to realize that this is a story of faith. This is a story of obedience. This is a story about a close relationship with God where there is a fear of God and a trust of God in a way that is so intertwined that Abraham couldn't object. Walter Brueggemann talks about this and looking at Abraham, he says that Abraham trusts the promise, trust the bigger picture of the covenant that God had laid out for him on that mountainside when he was so afraid of the dark, trusted that enough that he was willing to have faith in the covenant to do what God had asked him to do. We know how Abraham acted, but we often try to figure out what were his emotions. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell them. The Bible says that Abraham said, here I am. And God told him what to do. And Abraham just said, okay. That when they were going up to the mountainside, when Isaac asked the question, hey, dad, hey, dad, um, where's the ram? Where's the lamb that we're to sacrifice? Where is whatever it is that we are supposed to sacrifice on the altar? What did Abraham say to him? God will provide. But yet Abraham knew in his heart what he had been asked to do, knew that the sacrifice was walking right beside him, but yet somehow or other was searching his soul faithfully for the answer. As we read this text for ourselves, for our lives, we begin to understand that this is a text about faithful living. What would we do? What do we value and love the most? It's a text about how we live faithfully in regards to those things. About a story about faith and obedience, a story about fear of God or fear of the court of public opinion. It really begs the question for you and for me, what are we willing to sacrifice for God? What are we willing to sacrifice for that which God has laid upon our heart and God has called us to? Are we willing to give up that which is most valuable to us because God has called us by name? I mean, we start with Abraham as the example. I mean, there's Isaac there, right? The son that he most hoped for, and yet he was willing to sacrifice that son because God asked him to. What are we willing to give up that we value the most? As I pondered this question, I thought of a young man who's not so young anymore. Some 23 years ago, Chris was a young adult. He had graduated from college. He was in my first church, and we were putting together this mission trip. And Chris was interested in being a chaperone. Now, if you know anything about being a young adult freshly out of school and you're sort of in that first job, you're trying to figure out how to pay off debts, you have about this much vacation. 
You know, that's really one of the cruel ironies of life when you've got all this energy and all the world out in front of you. Maybe you're beginning to make a little bit of money and you've got time and energy and no obligations. What better time to experience all the world, right? But the company says, you can experience all the world on this much vacation. I mean, two weeks. I mean, you can barely see the beach in two weeks, right? So Chris comes to me and says, if I give a week of my vacation to go on this mission trip with these youth to central Appalachia, is it going to be worth it? That's a great question, right? Half of his vacation he's going to spend in a school, sleeping on the floor of a school gym with a thousand other of his best friends, right? Because we're all wedged in there on cots and sleeping bags. He's going to eat school-like food. And by that, I mean, you know, there's school food. And anything that's school-like is about two or three rungs down the, um, the Michelin star rating, if you will. I mean, it's like sub-stars. So he's going to get up really early in the morning after sleeping all night on a gym floor, have school-like food, go out to a work site where he's got to keep four or five teenagers and another adult busy doing construction work, inside or outside. It really doesn't matter. There's no air conditioning in either place. He might even get to crawl through some amorphous, mysterious, wet ground under the house while he's doing plumbing work. Think about it. He might get to do that. And then he gets to come back to the center and he's going to take a cold shower with poor water pressure. And for dinner, he's going to have what? School-like food. To rinse and repeat and do this all over again for five days. Is it worth it? I said, Chris, that's the story. That's what you're going to get. He said, I'll try it. 23 years later, he is still giving up a week of his vacation. Still going as a chaperone on that trip. For him, it was worth it. He was willing to give up that thing that was most valuable in his life at that time so that he could serve God because God was laying it on his heart to help others. James and Martha, they finally had graduated their last daughter from college. They had two daughters. They had lived with them through high school, through college. Uh, one was even in graduate school, but out on her own. And so they were finally free. Finally, that place in life where, you know, there was the young adult stage and then there was the kid stage. And now they were in the post kid stage. They finally had all the vacation weeks upon weeks. They were making good money. They had all their debts paid, all their obligations taken care of. They could finally tour the world and see all the sights they'd wanted to see. To Martha came home from a UMW meeting once. She'd gone to the meeting and someone from the Cross North School had been there and was talking about children in foster care and how they needed good foster parents to provide these great homes for children to model for them and to love them and care for them like they were their own. She came home and she said, James, I know we've waited our whole lives for this point. But I think God's calling us to be foster parents. And with fear and trepidation, they gave up that freedom they were so looking forward to. And they invited a young woman into their home to be their foster daughter for two years while she finished high school. With the intent to do it again and again. What is it that you love the most? What is it you love the most that you are willing to give up because God has put a burden upon your heart? That's really the question before us today, isn't it?
That's really the question that we hear from this text out of Genesis is what are we willing to give up? That which we love the most, are we willing to do it? Because God has called us and said, I need you. But in the midst of answering that question, we begin to understand that there is a mystery to this story as well. I mean, what we know of God, a God in heaven that loves us, a God in heaven that loved Abraham, a God in heaven that wanted the best for the world. Why would he ask that question of Abraham? I mean, Abraham must have had the same question. He must have wanted to ask God. He said, God, why would you take me out on the mountainside and tell me I'll have descendants like the stars and then ask me to do this? But here's the best part. Abraham didn't ask it, did he? Instead, Abraham did, not knowing exactly what God had him mind, not knowing what was going on, Abraham was obedient. When God called him by name, he said, here I am, Lord, and he told him what to do. And so the text records, they packed up the donkey, they packed up the wood, they got two servants, and they got Isaac, and up the mountain they went. Because for the covenant to be fulfilled, Isaac was a part of it. But Abraham trusted God every step of the way. Even with fear and trepidation and probably a heart that was just being rent apart, he trusted God every step of the way up that mountainside. And even when Isaac asked that question, he said, the Lord will provide. You talk about a powerful faith. I couldn't do it, could you? Do we live obedient lives? Do we live obedient lives to trust God in the unknown with that which we can't see over the horizon, but we know God is calling us to do? Do we live obedient lives trusting God and waiting patiently? Or are we more like those two buzzards, two buzzards sitting on a limb, watching the countryside, waiting for the opportunity for a meal, waiting for something essentially to die. And finally, one of the buzzards looks at the other and says, patience, my hide, I'm going to go kill something. You know, Jim and Mandy are friends of mine. They know something about this. He had a really good job and then the economy turned south and he got laid off. And they said, we're going to be okay. We got a little bit of a severance. We're going to be okay. Something will come along. Well, they kept waiting for something to come along and it didn't quite come along. And he finally got a job interview and he went and he interviewed and it was a great job. I mean, it was going to pay well. It was going to solve all of their financial troubles. It was going to put everything at ease and it was going to be just right. But as he came home, he said, honey, they offered me the job. And she says, that great. What does it pay? He told her, she says, did you take it? He said, I don't think we should. What do you mean you don't think we should? He said, I got the idea as I listened to them. I got the idea that they don't quite do things ethically. They don't quite have the same values that I have. Their company, they kind of believe in fuzzy math and creative accounting. And those are two things that I can't abide by. And especially if my name is on the paperwork. And she said, you're right. We can't take that job. Something will come. Something will come. And as the weeks went on, nothing came. The cash flow got tighter. The balance sheet started to look a little more bleak. And they began to wonder, should we have taken the job? Should we have sacrificed our values? Should we have sacrificed our ethics to take that? But instead they hung in there waiting. 
And sure enough, along the way, something came over the horizon. It was the right job, the right ethics. It didn't pay as much, but over time they worked their way out. You see, they understood something about this kind of obedient living. Jim and Mandy understood what Abraham wrestled with. Trusting God even when it didn't make sense. Trusting God to live the way God had called them to. Knowing that somewhere, somehow, the Lord would provide. And as much as a story is a mystery, it's also not very logical, is it? It's not very logical that God would promise descendants and then when he, Abraham has one, he tells him to take him to a mountaintop and kill him. But yet Abraham trusted God. He also feared God a little bit and he did that. He went to the mountaintop and he found that because he feared God, what would happen if he didn't obey? He figured out that he was being tested, that God was present with him the whole time, that even as he had walked out into the courtyard and told everybody to pack up the donkey, to pack up the servants, as they walked up the mountainside, as he answered Isaac's question, God was present with Abraham every step of the way. And that even as he raised the knife to kill his son, God was there and said, wait a minute. You pass the test. Your faith is exactly what I hoped it would be. So a few weeks ago, I was in Statesville for a meeting. And as I was coming back from Statesville, the state was preparing to do some project. If you've been on I-40 between Statesville and Moxville, they're doing something where they're chewing up the meat. They're chewing up sort of the, uh, the emergency lane. They're plowing it all up. And then they're putting it back down. I'm sure there's a reason. Those of you that are engineers can explain that later. But anyway, they're doing this, but they were lining up all the signs. And for whatever reason, they decided they wanted us to know that this was coming. And so every half a mile to a mile, there were one of those big old signs with the letters that flash. So they had them all lined up. There's about 13 of them. And they all had the same message getting ready for this. And, and it was really just for this sermon, serendipitous, because here was the message. Abraham testing ahead. Now, I have no idea why they chose those words. I mean, it makes no sense. I don't know if that's, I mean, anyway, Abraham testing ahead for 15 miles. Those were the signs. Abraham in the story would have liked to have had one of those signs or maybe three or four all the way up the mountainside, wouldn't he? Of Abraham testing ahead. So be like, good, I don't have to do that. Abraham testing ahead. Maybe that was what he wanted was some kind of a sign. But yet he lived his life as if he didn't need it because he had that fear knowing that God was present and God was always watching. When I was in junior high school, I went to Wiley Junior High and I took shop class sort of down in the basement back behind the cafeteria. And Mr. Mock was our shop teacher. Now, Mr. Mock was one of these guys. He referred to himself as the good guy. And I don't know why he called himself the good guy, but he always referred to himself in third person. Now, you know, you don't want to disappoint the good guy. You know, the good guy's always watching. I'm like, you, you mean you, Mr. Mock? But I thought, just be respectful. He's a teacher. But he would always say, now, we're going to take a test today. And he says, now, don't let the good guy down. I'm going to go back here in the shop. Now, Mr. Mock's test, to be fair, it was middle school, junior high shop. So it's not real hard. So the big, so the test would have a question like this. The big machine with the drill bitty thing that you pull the handle down is called the what? A, drilly thing. B, drill press. C, whatchamajigget. I mean, why we couldn't figure this one out, I don't know. But he would give us these kinds of tests. And then he would say, now don't let the good guy down. 
do your work, don't cheat. And then he would go out into the shop to do some work. Now, this is the first time that I remember distinctly that we were given a test anywhere in my schooling where the teacher would leave the room. You talk about an ethical dilemma. I mean, nobody's watching, right? So if you don't know that the thing that you pull down is not the drilling thing, but the drill press, then you're tempted to look on your neighbor's paper. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, Mr. Mock's not in the room. The good guy's not present. But those of us that had spatial relations knew that there was our classroom and then there was the shop, which was double the width of our class as well as twice as long. And then at the back of it, if you went back this way, there was the room where the wood was stored. And I don't know how anybody didn't observe this. Some of us did, but not everyone did. Right in the middle of the chalkboard, right at about eye level for Mr. Mock, the good guy was a hole about a half an inch. Now don't be letting the good guy down. I'm gonna go out in the shop, do your work. The good guy knew who let him down. Because he walked his way back into the shop and across and into the wood room and he sat there and he looked through the hole and he saw who played by the rules and who didn't. See, how we act and live in life is as important as what we do, isn't it? I mean, how we do it when the world is watching, that's what we want to know. Do we live and we act faithfully God's ways or do we act the way the world hopes that we will or convinces itself is okay and acceptable behavior? That's one challenge we have. But how do we act when we're pretty sure no one's watching is the real test, isn't it? How do we act when we're pretty sure that no one is watching? Because what we got to remember is that even when no one's watching, God is still present with us. God is still present watching because God sees all that we do. And so the test for us is to live the way that God wants us to, no matter where we are, no matter what we find ourselves into, no matter whether we're by ourselves or we're in a crowd of people, isn't it? That's the test. Faithful living no matter what. So our scripture lesson today is really a very interesting one, isn't it? It's one of sacrifice. Abraham is asked to sacrifice his only son to prove his faithfulness. But in that test, there's a lesson for us. The lesson for us is how do we live our lives? Do we live it in such a way that we're willing to sacrifice that which we love the most because God called us to step into a new realm? Do we live our lives in such a way that we're willing to be obedient to God and to trust God even when we can't see over the horizon or know what's ahead? Do we live our lives with enough respect, enough fear, enough love of God, enough understanding that God is present and watching us each and every step of the way and that no matter what we get into, that we are not alone, that God is with us each and every step of the way? The joy of this story is we know how it turned out. God provided. God provided that sacrifice for Abraham, for Isaac, for us. 
God provided that there on the mountain of Moriah, but yet God also provided a sacrifice for you and for me on the Mount of Golgotha on Calvary, on Calvary when God said, I will send my only son whom I love the best, who I love the most to die for the whole world. So do you and I, do we live lives worthy of that sacrifice? The question for us today is do we live our lives in such a way that we show God our depth of our love, the depth of our obedience, and our faith and trust to live the way God wants us to, no matter who's watching. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.